Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to cover verses 9 through 12. The title of this section could be The Women Report to the Apostles and Peter and John Go Visit the Empty Tomb. Which women? Well, there were two groups of women. One group of women, or there was, let's put it this way, there was Mary Magdalene, and there was another group of women. And to harmonize the various passages here, we're going to say, as Robertson says, is that the women appeared and reported to the apostles at different times. Mary Magdalene had peeled off earlier from the group of women before the group of women saw the two angels there, and she goes back and reports and says, the tomb's somebody's stolen the body. She doesn't report the angels. The other women show up slightly thereafter, and they tell the apostles, hey, we saw two angels, and the stone rolled away. That would explain the, the discrepancy in the report to the apostles. The other group of women included the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the so-called other Mary, the wife of Cleopas, the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, and one other unnamed woman, at least one other unnamed woman we don't know. So those, there's a harmonization problem you need to be on the lookout for. I'm going to splice in now my discussion of the parallel passage of John 22 through 10, which I covered in a Mark audio, and which and the splice also covers Luke 24, 9 through 12. So that splice begins now. Well, I'm going to start out with Mary Magdalene and the other women who rep- go report to the apostles. And Peter and John peel off from the apostles. They go visit the empty tomb. So let's start with John 20, verse, verses 2 through 10. Now here John is speaking of Mary Magdalene. In verse 2, John says this. So in chapter 20, John says this. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that would be John, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So now Mary Magdalene is disputed what she actually saw before she ran to tell the apostles. In my opinion, the way I harmonize it is she showed up with the other women. They saw the stone rolled back. They didn't see the angel who had rolled the stone back. None of them did. But So Mary Magdalene, as soon as she saw that, she assumes that somebody's stolen the body. So she heads out to tell Simon Peter and the other disciples. Why did she do that? Because she wanted to tell them that somebody had stolen the body. As we'll see later, that's what she did tell them. However, the other women went to the tomb. Instead of going to the apostles, they went toward the empty tomb, and they saw two angels standing there. And they said, Jesus is resurrected. So Mary Magdalene and the other women are going to tell different stories when they get to the apostles because of their diff- what, they, what they saw was different. Now notice that Mary Magdalene ran to Simon Peter. Simon Peter is mentioned. He's singled out. As the NIV Study Bible says, despite his denials, Peter was still considered the leading figure of the apostles. Now it sounds like she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. It sounds like she met Peter and John alone. But actually, as we read in... Luke 24:10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of the Mary of James, and the other women with, with them were telling the apostles these things. So I assume that what happened was is that Mary Magdalene left separately, shows up at the apostles, and, and the other women at, during the course of the conversation, they show up at the same time, and they're all trying to tell what they saw, none of which the apostles believed, of course. Now, when she tells the apostles that we don't know where they have put him, put him, that 
tells us clearly that she thought that somebody had taken the body and put him somewhere else. She had no thought of the resurrection. She might have thought a friend or an enemy may have moved the body, as John Gill points out. Now, of course, there's a problem because the angels have said that he was resurrected. The way you solve that problem is to say Mary Magdalene peeled off before the other women saw the angels. That's one way to reconcile it. Another way is, I think it's Gleason Archer that says this, is that she was so distraught that she thought the angels were a figment of her imagination. I don't think so. I don't see how you see two angels and say, oh, I just made that up. I don't believe that. I think she left early. John Gill says the fact that Mary Magdalene believed that the body had been taken shows that she must have looked into the empty tomb. I am not so sure of that. It seems to me that if she saw that heavy tombstone moved away from the tomb, that she would make a logical inference and say, whoop, somebody's taken the body. We go to John 20, verses 3 through 5. At that, Peter and the other disciple, that's John, went out heading for the tomb. Now we read in another passage that the disciples thought that this was all nonsense that the women were telling them, but it wasn't enough nonsense to where Peter and John didn't want to go check it out because they said, well, maybe she did see something. Maybe what's going on? Maybe, maybe somebody did rob the tomb, and that would be terrible. But at any rate, they went out to see what was going on. The two were running together, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Some people say because Peter was older. John Gill says that. I don't know how he knows that Peter is older than John, but let's assume it's true. Peter, the old man Peter, waddles up to the tomb and John sprints past him and gets there first. Verse 5, stooping down, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Now you notice they were running. They weren't walking. They were running. They were excited. For whatever reason, but they didn't know what they were going to see, apparently. They knew that Mary Magdalene had seen something, and they were running. I don't believe that they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead yet. Now, why did John, who got to the tomb first, why did he, he looked into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in? I don't think there's any big deal about this. That's just what he did. He just went in there, he stopped to think a little bit, then Peter came and went in behind him, and then John followed back into Peter. I just think that's what he did. Some people, like Adam Clark, want to make a big deal of this and said, oh, well, he didn't go in because he was fully aware the body was not there. Well, does that mean that when Peter went in later that Peter needed more proof than John? And after Peter went in, if John didn't need any more proof that the body was not there, why did he decide to go on in later? In verse 8, we see he went in. And then he believed. He believed something when he went in and saw. I don't know. Don't think it's important. The, po the point is, is they went in and they saw the empty tomb and they saw the linen cloths. Now, those linen cloths help prove the resurrection because it is most unlikely that grave robbers would unwrap a corpse before removing it. It would take a long, long time. All those linen wraps that go round and round and round and round the body. There's no point in that. Why would you want to rob a corpse? Why don't you just take the body with the linen on it and unwrap it later when you're safe? We go to verse 6 and verse 7 in John 20. Then following him, that's John, following John, Simon Peter came also. He was late getting there because he was outrun. He entered the tomb. He went past John, entered the tomb, and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by himself, by itself. Well, now... The fact that they were lying there, I've already mentioned, shows that it's unlikely somebody stole the body. But something else shows that somebody, that a grave robber would not have stolen the body. Stolen the body if they had taken the time to unwrap the linen cloths, which they probably would not have. But if they had, they wouldn't have just folded them up neatly. 
put the head cloth in one place and the body wrap in another place. The grave clothes would have been in disarray, as the NIV Study Bible, John Gill and Adam Clark all point out. It would have taken a long time and a lot of trouble to unwrap the body and fold the clothes. Who did that? Who, who laid the linen cloths out so neatly? It's probably the two angels did that for the Lord. Ministering spirits ministered to the Lord. John 28, verses, nine, verses 8 and 9. The other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb. He decided to follow Peter on in there, then entered the tomb, saw, and believed. For they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, there are some options as to what John actually believed. It sounded to me like he believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That is what the NIV Study Bible and Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown believe. Adam Clark, however, says that they believe that the body had been taken away and that Mary Magdalene's testimony was true. That's a possibility. I don't think it's the, that's it, though. I think the NIV Study Bible is correct. They believe now that Jesus had resurrected. Now, the fact that they believed at, at this point shows that they didn't make up the resurrection because of their preconceived understanding of prophecy, as the NIV Study Bible points out. I mean, there's lots of uh, Scripture not only Old Testament prophecy, but the words of Jesus, lots of scripture and the words of Jesus could be interpreted as being as saying that Jesus would be resurrected. For example, Psalm 16, verses 9 through 10 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Well, you could think, say that. See there, there's a, the disciples could have said, we're going we're gonna to fake this resurrection so that we can match this prophecy according to skeptics. Then, of course, you got Isaac being resurrected from that Mount Moriah in Genesis 22 when Abraham took him up there to be sacrificed, and the angel of the Lord said, nope, 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 don't do it. Also, Jonah was resurrected out of the fish's belly. Jesus said in Matthew 12:40, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, which implies, of course, that after three days and three nights, he's going to come out. And not to mention this, I've got about eight, I forgot how many verses, lots of verses. I don't have them here in front of me, but in previous audios, I, lit, I, I read out all the verses where Jesus had announced that he was going to be resurrected and he would be crucified in Jerusalem and after three days be resurrected. He'd already told them that. Now, they didn't believe it, but he had told them. Now, if the apostles had heard Jesus' words and they were familiar with the scriptures, they could say, ah, let's fake this re resurrection so that we can match the prophecy. But they didn't do that. Their psychology was totally different. They just didn't believe. They didn't believe. It, it's ironic. It's helpful, actually, that the early disciples could not believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead because it shows that it took a lot of evidence to convince them that he was resurrected from the dead because this was such an earth-shaking event. And when they were finally convinced, they went away from being a bunch of frightened chickens cowering in their houses in Jerusalem to going out and risking their lives proclaiming the gospel and starting the church that today has over a billion people in it. There's nothing to explain that except they did not believe in the resurrection until they were prevented, presented with evidence. And if these skeptics and people who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus would take the time, which they, because of their hard heart, most of them won't do, but if they would take the time and practice their own principles of, I'll take the evidence wherever it leads me, if they will do that, they will say, there's nothing to explain. There's no way to explain this except that Jesus actually did. He rose again from the dead. Well, at any rate, I'm going to assume that at this point, Peter and John believe in the resurrection. Now, in verse 9 here in John 20, John says this, For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. It had been prophesied in the past in Psalms, for example, and Jesus had said the same thing. Once 
God says something, it's going to happen. Oh, that it brings up all kinds of philosophical questions about the predestination of God and the predestining of the future and how does that leave us free in the future. I'm not going to get into all that. I'm, I'm a compatibilist. I believe it's all compatible. But at any rate, right here it says must. He must rise from the dead because the scripture said he was going to rise from the dead. So he, he was going to rise from the dead. Now notice when John says that they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. That is an admission against John and Peter's integrity. They are saying that, that, that admission makes them look bad. You mean you were spent all this time with Jesus and you didn't know that he was going to rise again from the dead? He told you over and over again. It, it is a confession of their lack of faith in Jesus. It makes them look bad. Well, what does that also do? It also makes it look like the accounts is true. It helps confirm the veracity of John's account because he admitted against his own interest, he admitted against his own interest that something was true. That's in, in the law of evidence, if I recall, admission against interest is something that helps prove somebody's testimony is true. Verse 10, then the disciples went home again. All right, so the disciples are back to where they're staying in Jerusalem. We now turn to Luke 24, 9 through 12. Luke 24, 9 through 12 reads as follows. Returning from the tomb, and let me say here that this is going to be a parallel passage. We're not advancing the clock any. We're rehashing what has just happened from a different from Luke's perspective. Returning from the tomb, and that's referring not to Mary Magdalene, but to the other women besides Mary Magdalene, and we're going to talk about who they were in just a minute. These other women returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, nonsense to the apostles, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Now, we've already seen that in John, John records Peter and himself. John ran into the tomb. When he stood to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went home amazed at what happened. All right, first of all, we note that Luke refers to the apostles as the eleven. Why did he do that? Because Judas had already bit the dirt. He had hanged himself. And so Luke calls the rest of the apostles the eleven in the tr English translation, the Holman Christian Study Bible, capitalizes it capitalizes it as the eleven. Luke often referred to the apostles as, as the eleven. Acts one twenty six, then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Acts two fourteen, but Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah, etc. etc. John, however, called the apostles the twelve after Judas was dead, John twenty twenty four, but one of the twelve, Thomas, was not with them when Jesus came. So you see that the number is kind of a, a, an aggregate number that refers to the whole body of the apostles. If you take that literally, obviously it's not 12. It was a con there's a contradiction. One body has 11 apostles, and the other one apostle reports a body of 11 apostles, and the other apostle, the other writer, the other gospel writer, reports a body of 12 apostles. And if you want to be logic chopping about it, that creates a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's just the name that the apostles were called by. Now it says in verse 9, they reported, that's the women, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Well, who were the rest? Well, other disciples besides the apostles were gathered together. They were mostly from Galilee, according to, to the NIV study Bible. John Gill speculates it's the 70 that were sent out on the mission of the 70. Perhaps also the 120 who were there in the upper room. And notice that if 120 can be in the upper room of one of those Jewish houses, they could be there in whatever house that they were holed up in, hiding. Now, 
All the women are mentioned here, including Mary Magdalene. I'm going to assume that Mary Magdalene arrived separately from the other women, and they were, but they arrived at the house so that they were there at the same time. Let's talk a little bit about who Mary Magdalene was. Her hometown was Magdala, which is Luke 8:22 tells us that, and Magdala is on the western, central and western coast of the Sea of Galilee. She should not be confused with the sinful woman of Luke 7 or Mary of Bethany in John 11.1. 1, so that's why you always put Magdalene at the end, Mary of Magdala. This is according to the NIV Study Bible. She's listed first in most, but not all, the list of the women. So she was fairly prominent. She was the first to see the risen Christ. And we're going to talk about that later in a very dramatic scene. It's fitting that the one who was redeemed from such sin, she had seven demons cast out of her, if you recall, Mark 16.9. Seven demons? That's serious business. I don't know what she was into. Maybe she was doing astrology or a little cult. But it's fitting that the biggest sinner should see Jesus resurrected from the dead first. Note that the honor of seeing Jesus first resurrected from the dead was not to Holy Mother Mary. Excuse me, uh, the Virgin Mary. It seems like if if Jesus were Catholic, he'd let his mother see him first since she's born sinless and so forth. Now, Mary Magdalene was accused of being a prostitute because there were lots of prostitutes in Magdala. I don't know how that happened in history. There's no proof that she was ever a prostitute, but she was an alleged prostitute. And it's interesting that she got priority over one who was famous for her virginity. Prostitute first, virgin, not at all. The next woman that's mentioned is Joanna. She is named only by Luke at these, in these resurrection passages. She's the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. This is in Luke 8.3. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. These lists of women, sometimes it's a list showing who supported Jesus and the disciples as they ministered. There's another list showing who watched the crucifixion. And here's another list of those who were involved in the Resurrection Day events. So that's who she is. Now we've got Mary, the mother of James, is there. That's why I call her the other Mary. In fact, Matthew calls her the other Mary. Quote, unquote, other Mary. She was the mother of James and Joseph in one of those lists. Mother in Mark 15:40, it said that she's Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph. And in one of the lists, it says she's the wife of Cleophas, who is also known as Alphaeus. And that's so complicated, we're just going to remember her as the other Mary. Now, by the way, I mentioned the Virgin Mary. Where is she now? Well, she had been taken home by John after the crucifixion, John 19:27. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciple, John, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, John, took her into his home. So Mary's at home with John now. By the way, there was another woman that's not mentioned here. That would be Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. Salome, the wife of Zebedee. And again, this is we say this with probability, but not with due certainty, because the Hebrews had an unpleasant habit of only giving people one name, the first name, and it sometimes creates a lot of confusion, so people like to debate this. But that's the best I can see it right there. So we'll just call it the Mary Magdalene on one hand and the other women, the other group of women. And by the way, in Luke 24:10 here, it does mention other women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. We know one of the other women was, was Salome, who Mark mentions. But it says other women, not other women. So there's got to be at least one other woman besides Salome who is unnamed and doesn't get any credit for being here. But anyway, it doesn't matter. They're a group of women. Now notice we read in verse 11 that the apostles did not believe these women. Now this is despite the many, many times Jesus had told them he would rise. I've mentioned I, I could go through and list scripture after scripture after scripture where Jesus said, I'm going down to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again. Now Peter and John may not have believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
They might not have believed the women. It says they didn't believe the women. But they went to the tomb anyway. Perhaps they were hoping against hope. Perhaps they were angry that somebody had stole the body. It's hard to say. But we do know that when they looked inside that tomb and saw those linen cloths, hey, nobody stole the body. We, we don't know it, but we probably surmise it. We surmise it with a great deal of probability. At that point, they probably believed that Jesus was risen again from the dead. Peter went in in verse 12, looked in the tomb and was, was, was amazed. John Gill says he still doesn't believe, but he couldn't account for the removal of the body, but therefore he was amazed. I don't know. The passage we just read in John said he believed, and I believe he believed at that point. It might be debatable, but I believe that that's so. Actually, I just said the verse in John, I think it's chapter 20, verse 8, said that both of them believed. It actually just says that John believed. It doesn't say anything about Peter, so I guess that's still up in the air. All right, I'm returning from my splice of my discussion and one of the my Mark audios discussing the report to the apostles by the women in two shifts. Mary Magdalene was one report and the other women. In the other report, Peter and John have visited the empty tomb. John believes, Peter probably believes, the light's beginning to dawn. Mary Magdalene still doesn't believe. Not sure whether the other women believed or not. They just knew the body was gone. As we go through the parallel p passages... There's other incidents that occur before Luke takes up the story again. So in our next audio, we're going to skip these events. We're going to skip Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. That story is mostly reported in John, also in Mark, and it's a very, very moving story. We'll, we will cover that when we get to John. Then another incident we're going to skip is when Jesus appears to the other women that are separate from Mary Magdalene. That's in Matthew 28, 9 through 10. And then we're going to skip the story of how some of the guard of the tomb, the tomb guard that the, the Roman soldiers that the Jews had sent to guard the tomb to keep the disciples from stealing the body, they report back to the Jewish, Jewish rulers and say, oh, bad news, the body's gone. That's in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. In our next audio, we're going to take it back up where Luke takes it up, where Luke describes in great detail the appearance of on the road to Emmaus by Jesus to Cleopas and his friend, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so we'll do that next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.